Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Stories. We, uh, we started this series on stories three weeks ago. And the greatest story we started about with was the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus. How that he came to earth, God in the flesh. That he lived for 33 years. He grew up, the Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature. And then he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, the Bible says he, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He took the penalty for our sins. And he took the power away from sin. So that we could live free of the penalty and of the power. Now we need access that gift that he's given us. If you're here this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's the most important story you'll ever hear, is that God came to bring you back to Himself, and He took responsibility for His creation from the very beginning. The second story we told was the story of John the Baptist. It took us two weeks to tell the story of John the Baptist. He's an Old Testament prophet written about in the New Testament. He's not part of the church. He's a friend of the church, a friend of the bride. And he was coming to prepare the way for Jesus. And one of the things he said was, Behold the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus, listen, when we talk about Jesus is God, Jesus is God. That's offensive to a lot of people because it's exclusive. If Jesus is God... That means everything he said was absolute truth. And if he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, that means he's saying, I hold true religion in my hand. All other religions are false. And that is exactly what Jesus meant, and it is exactly what Jesus said. Now that may sound offensive, but you know what? Pretty much every religion says the same thing. Hey, our religion is the right one. If you don't come to us, then you're going to hell or you're going to be annihilated or whatever their particular doctrine is. The main difference between Christianity and these other belief systems is that our good works and our good deeds, our good service, our, our morality follows our security. You tracking with me? I'll borrow a Chandler saying. You tracking with me? Coming to Jesus by faith alone secures for us the forgiveness of our sins and an eternity with God. It, it brings us into the family of God via adoption, and God becomes our Father. That's security. And the Bible says, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. The Father which gave, me, which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father and I are one. Right, so security first, good works, good deeds, and morality second. That's a distinctive characteristic of Christianity that differs from every other religion in the world. 
The third story that we're going to look at this morning is a story of this amazing woman. Her name is Fanny Crosby. How many of you know who Fanny Crosby is? Maybe raise your hand if you know who Fanny Crosby is. A couple old school, right? Old school Christians here, you know who Fanny Crosby is. She has a weird name, right? Yeah. She was one of my favorite hymn writers. She was a hymn writer. She was Chris Tomlin before Chris Tomlin was Chris Tomlin. Do you know who Chris Tomlin is? Or uh, Matt Redman. Um, some of the most uh, influential uh, worship composers of our generation, Chris and Matt. Um, Fanny was them back in the 19th century. So I want to have, yeah, both of them combined. She, well, we're going to talk about that. She was prolific. We think that Chris Tomlin churns out so much music. He's trying to catch up to Fanny Crosby. Um, she was amazing. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, have you ever... Have you ever thought that you had it rough? And you ever feel like, man, I've had, I've had it rough. I've had a rough life. Anybody? Is that just me? Man, I've had it rough. Now, those of you that are our guests, you might not know what I mean by that, but I've had it rough. I have a daughter with cerebral palsy, and uh, she's been in a wheelchair all her life, and she's had thigh derotation surgery, and it's as bad as it sounds. They cut her thigh all the way through, and then they turned it, and then they steel-plated it, and it was awesome. N not really. Um, and then we had two other kids ten years later, uh, and then Kirsten developed psychosis, which was far worse than her physical disability. So when I say that we've had it rough, I kind of mean that we've had it rough. But I also know I'm not alone, that many of you have had difficult times. Um, do you, like, you feel like the life you've been given is a losing hand? you feel like the card you've been given is a losing hand? That every single time you try something, I'm going to do something, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, I'm going to do something, that you always get that losing hand? When we look at Fanny Crosby, we're going to see that she had been given a losing hand at life. I mean, this woman had a rough Life. We're talking 19th century, 1800s, okay? About 1820 to, uh, to early 1900s is when she, when she lived her life. This woman, by the way, she lived for 90, I think 95 years, which in itself is ridiculous and remarkable. We're talking through the 1800s. She lived through the cholera epidemic. So this is her life. Let's talk about Fanny. Her life consisted of a major catastrophe. And I want to read a poem to you that she wrote. This is a poem that you won't find in a hymnal. It's a poem that she wrote when she was, get it now, eight years old. This woman wrote this poem when she was eight years old. Anybody have an eight-year-old here this morning? Some, you have an eight-year-old. Anybody else have an eight, like nine, seven-year-old? You guys, right? <laughs> Listen now. This is the poem that this woman wrote, Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. So the first catastrophe that struck Fanny Crosby 
was when she was about six weeks old, she got really sick. We don't really know what the illness is, but we do know this, as we study her life, we find this out, that her family doctor, the doctor of her county, was out of town. And so this little girl is really sick. And so her family, distressed, finds another doctor in the area. And this other doctor comes and he treats her. And one of the treatments that he uses is mustard seed oil compresses to place upon her eyes. Her family was a little disturbed by this, and he said, I'm the doctor. And so they followed doctor's orders. And and having had sick children myself, sometimes you just don't know what to do, and you just follow the doctor's orders. And this is why, as a dad and as a pastor, I encourage you parents, find a doctor you trust, (laughs) because a lot of times... That's what it's going to take, because you don't know. They didn't know. What they didn't know was that they shouldn't have trusted this unknown figure who was not a doctor at all, it turns out. He passed himself off as a certified physician, but he was a certified quack. She did recover from the illness, but she lost her sight. When it was was revealed that she lost her sight... Mr. Quack skipped town. So he never paid for the criminal act that he did upon this child. Anyone ever have someone do something to them so horrible that you've never recovered all of your life? And there's been no way for you to find justice? Has any, anybody experienced that? I know that some of you have. You've experienced horrible things in your life and the person that did them to you died before you had a chance to confront them. So here's Fanny Crosby. She's blind. A few months later when she was 10 months old, insult to injury, her dad dies. So now we're in the 1800s where women by and large were stay-at-home moms, maids, and so her mother wanted the best for her daughter, and so she went to work. And she worked, um, what's the word, voraciously, so that she couldn't really take care of her daughter. She had to go to work. So the grandmother finds out all these horrible things have happened to her granddaughter, and so the grandmother comes in, when her grandmother Eunice, I'm going to quote, when her grandmother Eunice heard that her little granddaughter was blind and nothing could be done about it, she said, then I will be her eyes. So sometimes the catastrophe in our lives can bring out the best in the people around us. There are people that look at disabled people, for example, and they say, well, what are they contributing to society? Peter Singer, professor of ethics at Princeton University, is such a dastardly person. What do they they contribute to society? I can speak from experience that they bring out the very best in the people that they interact with. They create opportunities for people to love like they would never have loved before. And in doing that, they improve society around them. 
It's an amazing thing. So here's this grandmother, and she finds out that her baby granddaughter has been blinded, and she says, I will be her eyes. And she moves in, and she raises Fanny. By, you know, she raises Fanny. Um, her, her mom is out working, and then she begins to teach Fanny Crosby everything she possibly can. She taught her about the colors in nature. She taught her about everything she was missing. She taught her the Bible. Matter of fact, she taught her the Bible so well that Fanny Crosby was, listen, she memorized the Pentateuch, which is the first five chapters of the Bible. She memorized the first four chapters of the New Testament when she was little. She memorized several Psalms in the book of Proverbs. It's an amazing thing what she went through. She was an amazing, amazing woman. I want to share some other things about this, this woman. As she grew when she was about 15, and because her mother had worked so hard for her, she was able to move to New York City and go to the New York uh, City Institute for the Blind. At 15 years old, she moves away from home to the big city, and she's blind, and she goes to this institute. Um, and she stays there uh, uh, for about 7 to 12 years. History's a little bit murky. And she graduates, and then she teaches for another 12 or so years there. This woman, this woman Fanny, she, she was one of the first people to fight for disability rights. She's the first, this is a hymn writer, guys. She is the first woman to address the United States Senate. It didn't stop there. Once she addressed them, they asked her to address a joint session of Congress. We're talking the State of the Union kind of stuff here. A little blind woman, 23 years old, goes to D.C. and addresses both houses of Congress about disability rights. She reads her poetry to them, and the story goes that the congressmen and women, many of them are moved to tears. And from that moment on, she becomes a friend of every president that lived during her lifetime. They would come to New York City to visit her. This is a hymn writer a little blind girl who started doing this kind of stuff at 23 years of age. She fought for disability rights. She was a friend to presidents. And you could say this, she was contented. It's an amazing thing. Although she was blind, she was content and happy. But I'll say this, there was still something missing in her life. She was tough and she was determined. You cannot possibly go through what she went through without having some intestinal fortitude. She was tough. She was courageous. She was brilliant. And finally, I think beyond doubt, she was inspirational. I hope you'll all look for a book on her and, and learn a little bit more about Fanny Crosby that I can possibly tell you in a 30-minute sermon. She was just an amazing, amazing woman. Finally, she was humble. And although we know that she's written at least 5,000 hymns, the assumption is over 8,000 because she used about 20 pen names. So she didn't get recognition for a lot of the work that she did. She was humble. Humble is not esteeming yourself lower than you are. It's esteeming yourself accurately. But she was humble. She was an amazing, amazing woman. And I still see this. To weep inside because I'm blind... I cannot, and I won't. Now, how does that make y'all feel this morning about your own lot in life? Anybody, anyone been walking around saying, woe is me? Woe is me? 
I'll share some other tragedies. She got married. We'll talk about that in a minute. But she got married, and shortly after they were married, she had a baby. Isn't that awesome? And the baby died. And the baby died. That's not fair. I mean, I can imagine her saying, God, wasn't it enough for you to blind me? And now you had to take my baby? This is, this is tough stuff. And yet, this characterized her life. To weep inside because I'm blind, I cannot, and I won't. She was determined. She was a strong, strong woman. And I, and I think she puts a lot of Christians to shame, doesn't she? Do you feel that way? Do you feel a little bit, maybe just a little bit of guilt over being upset that your coffee wasn't right this morning? Maybe you're sitting at that red light, it turns green, and the guy in front of you is dozing or on his phone and he wakes up just in time to see it turn yellow and he goes through it and then you're stuck sitting there and you're like, do I run the light with my kids in the car or do I pretend I actually follow the law? And then you get angry, right? Nobody gets angry driving here, right? It is better in New Hampshire. I can't say what we call Massachusetts people from the pulpit at the moment. Let's move on. So we're going to go to Ephesians. We're going to go to Ephesians. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All right, we're going on here. For by grace, you know, remember how I opened the service with the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus? That is the story of grace. He gives us what we do not deserve. He pours favor out upon us, and all he asks for us is to repent and believe. Trust in Him. Turn from your sin and trust in Him. And you will be saved. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. This faith that you have. If you're here this morning and you have believed on Jesus as your one and only Savior. You did that because God gave you the gift of faith. Some of you all think I drummed faith up. No, you didn't. And a matter of fact, if you're here this morning and you feel the stirrings of belief in your heart, that is God the Father granting to you the gift of faith. You ought to act on it and trust in Jesus. He is the only one that can save your eternal soul from an eternity in hell. He is the only one that can save you from the power of sin, not just the penalty of sin. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, we go on. Now, remember what I said a moment ago, right? At the opening statements, right? The opening statements were religion, right? Christianity is security first, service second. You say, where's the Bible evidence of that? You just read it with me. Security first. By grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Security first, service Second, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Security first, and then He has, listen, He has laid a path out from the beginning of the world for us to walk in. But security first. You all can't walk in the path He's laid for you until you know Him. Oh, that's good stuff. Preach it. I will. I am. 
Listen, here, here, there's, a, there's another hymn writer. His name is John Newton. John Newton, we should do John Newton's story. John Newton wrote the, the, the song, Amazing Grace. Matter of fact, there's a major motion picture um, based on his life. I can't remember what it's called. It might be called Amazing Grace. You look it up. It's tremendous. John Newton was a slave trader. He, you want to talk about someone that had a rough life. John Newton had a rough life. And he became a rough man. And one day he was saved. And he wrote the story, Amazing Grace. And he looked at his life. And there's almost nothing worse. Is there anything worse than a slave trader? The things that he had done were unforgivable. And yet he found mercy and grace in the eyes of Jesus. And then he fought to end slavery. He's an amazing man. And he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, and in the song he said, I was blind, but now I see. And I felt that was fitting for the story of Fanny Crosby, because as we've read, she's kind of gone through it, hasn't she? She's gone through some terrible things, and she's endured in a remarkable way. She's lived, remember when she was eight years old? What, what did she say? Anybody remember that? Because my brain is broken. Let's see what she said. To weep and sigh because I'm blind? I cannot and I won't. Listen, that was when she was eight years old. And much of the other things that she didn't said came before she was 30. She was addressing Congress at 23. She was a tremendous example of perseverance, of endurance. And let me share this with you this morning. For those Christians that are feeling a little bit down, like, I have been a woe-is-me Christian, and look at this little girl, eight years old, this little blind woman, 23 years old, look what she's accomplished, look at how she's lived her life with such courage and such dignity, and she refuses to feel sorry for herself. What a wonderful and amazing Christian woman. She wasn't. She was not a Christian woman until she was 30 years old. How many of y'all like sitting going, wait a second? Really? Yeah, Really? So she had all of this endurance, all of this persecution, all of this contentment, and she didn't even know Jesus. She just was one of those naturally strong people. And she had an amazing grandmother. And here's the other interesting thing. She was religious. She was religious. How many of you all have memorized the first five books of the Bible? I'm a pastor. I haven't. I've memorized chunks, but I don't, I don't even know if I've memorized an entire chapter. But like, praise God for a wand of sparks. Memorization is fantastic. She memorized the first five books of the Bible, the first four books of the New Testament. Remember we shared that? That's amazing and remarkable and religious, but she didn't know Jesus. She was not a believer. She was not saved. If she would have died, she would have gone to hell, and yet she was tremendous. That makes me feel even worse. And honestly, can we just be real here this morning, Christians? If you're a Christian, it should make you feel guilty. And somebody chimes in. It should prick your conscience. If you have been living a woe is me life as a believer in Jesus, because here's someone that didn't believe and probably had it a little worse than you. 19th century, first of all, woman in the 19th century. Secondly, 
blind in the 19th century. And yet, an amazing testimony to grit and determination. But you remember when I said she was contented, but there was something missing? This is what was missing. She had to fight for her contentment. She had to be determined. It was in her own strength, her own toughness, that she found contentment. But one day, she went to a church service with a friend of hers. They'd been attending for several weeks. It was during the cholera outbreak. And the cholera outbreak was taking lives left and right. You think COVID-19 is bad? I'm not going to say anything about that, but it wasn't as bad as this. And people were fearful for their lives. And unfortunately, unlike today, fortunately, unlike today, depending on which side you're looking at, they turned to God. They started going to church. They wanted to find out, is there life after death because my friends are dying, and revival broke through. And God did an amazing work. And she's going to this church, and her friend is taking her. Her friend is a believer, but he's not shoving the Bible down her throat. He's not shoving the gospel down her throat. He's just being a friend to her, bringing her to church, and something clicked. Remember, her, her grandmother had fed her the Word of God all the while she was growing up. That's called planting the seed. And this friend of her took her to church, and that's called watering the seed. She went to bed that night. She had a dream. And in her dream, her friend was dying. And her friend looked at her and said to her, Will I see you in heaven with me? And in that dream, she realized she didn't know. She didn't know. In that moment, she turned her life over to Christ Jesus who saved her eternal soul and became her Lord and Master. And then her life took another turn. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4. I told you we're going we're gonna to work it. We're working through a couple scriptures today because this is church and we don't just tell stories about people. We tell stories about people whose stories intersected with the person, Jesus, and what happened, right? So here she has an intersection with Jesus. She places her faith in Jesus once and for all, and we want to look at, first, uh, at Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Many of you that have known me for a long time, I call these my Kirsten verses, starting back at verse number 4, but we're going to focus on 10. This is a passage of Scripture that carried me through some of the worst trials in my life. But verse number 10 says, But I rejoice greatly that now at the last your care for me has flourished, though you surely did, la though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, Paul the Apostle is addressing a church at Philippi. If you want to know more about this, get on our Facebook page at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. Peter Clow is going through, I think you're entering the last chapter this week, aren't you? He's entering chapter 4 this week of Philippians. It's an online study that he is doing for our church. Anyways, I'm going to steal a little bit of it. Um, I apologize. Brother, I love you. Um, so here is here's Philippians. He's talking to this church, and he's saying, listen, you didn't have an opportunity for care for me. Some of us look at, look at caring for others this way. We look at it as a burden. Oh, I have to give tithes so the pastor can eat? Right, we have that attitude. I'm going to pay the pastor the least amount that I possibly can and watch him struggle. Right? And that, that's a terrible attitude to have. And Paul is saying to this church, you wanted to help. I get it, man. You wanted to help me, but you didn't have opportunity because I had everything I need. I've turned down raises in this church. You can ask your deacons. Right? Am, am I lying, Ron? 
I, they want to increase, give you an increase. I said no, because um, I felt like I was doing okay. When retirement comes, I might feel differently. But anyways, so he's saying, you cared? You ca- I know you cared, but you just didn't have an opportunity. But then when you had the opportunity, you took it. And what a blessing it is to my heart. This is what the Apostle Paul said. What a blessing it is to my heart. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be, what's the word? Say it with me, one, two, three. Content. Oh, that would come on. That's miserable. One, two, three. Content. Say it again. One, two, three. Content. Say it again. One, two, three. Content. I have learned to be content. I have learned to be now, this, this woman, Fanny, she fought to be content until she turned 30. It was a struggle. It was determination. It was grit. And then she turned 30, and she found something different. She found a different kind of contentment. Paul says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, let me share something with you. There are some preachers, and you might find some of them on Right Now Media. By the way, I haven't watched all 15,000 Bible studies. So I'm all going to challenge you, spit out the bones. If you find something that you're like, dude, that's crazy, send me an email. I will hide it from the library. I've already hid some things from the library. Folks, share that stuff, okay, please. So there are some preachers that will say, listen, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I was assured by Joanna that there are no prosperity preachers on Right Now Media. You will not find the prosperity preacher that tells you Jesus saved you to make you rich. That's not true, but I heard a preacher say it the other day. God wants you to have such a blessed life, such a healthy life, such a whole life, that when people look at you, they just give glory to God. Now, may I say, that's his opinion I'm looking at Scripture a little bit differently. I'm saying this, that if your life is hard, if you have a Fanny Crosby life, but you are content, and your life, though filled with hardship, is characterized with joy, I'll tell you something, mm -mm. now that is a testimony for Jesus Christ. A testimony for Jesus Christ is not joy when you get the raise, a testimony for Jesus Christ is not joy when you get the new car. A testimony for Jesus Christ. Now listen, my wife works for an amazing real estate company and they win awards left. I've never seen anything like it left and right. But that is not, listen, and I know they're happy. I know you're happy, right, Suzanne? Because <laughs> it's wicked awesome. Let's be honest. But listen, if your joy only comes when you get platinum award, that is not the joy of Jesus the joy comes when all the wheels fall off. When your leg is almost chopped off on a moped in, Moto, in, in Cosim, Cosimo. Well, when your husband is hit by a car on a motorcycle and he ends up in an emergency room that we don't know where he is and we're searching for him and you have joy in those circumstances, let me tell you something, man. That is a testimony for Jesus when Dave Damon's lying on the hospital bed and they say, who do you work for? And his answer is this. How many of you guys know this? It's so funny. I was there. It was hilarious and sad at the same time because he was in so much pain. He goes, <clears throat> he, he's in a really deep voice. I work for God. He literally said that. He was a deacon in our church. He was like, I work for God. And the doctors at that point are going, holy smoke, there's some, something really wrong with this dude. His head is scrambled. And I'm like, no, no, he's a deacon in our church. Dave, where else do you work? I work for whatever company it was back then. Oh, okay, now we understand. There's joy in the trials 
And then there's faithfulness with the Platinum Awards and faithfulness when you, are, when you are living the high life. This is what Paul said. He said, I've learned how to be abased and I've learned how to abound. Now, there are some people who cannot abound and stay faithful to Jesus. Did you know that? I have a friend of mine. He started a business. His biz- he is a recovering um, heroin addict and he was doing fantastic and then his business started picking up. He would tell you this testimony himself if he could. He's not here, but his business started picking up. He started making money hand over fist. He was becoming more and more and more successful. And he did not know how to be content when he was abounding. And he turned back to heroin. See, folks, there's a, there's a contentedness that comes from Jesus that's different than the contentedness that comes from your own grit and determination. And then he says this. Then he says this. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pet peeve number one. Nate plays football. How many of you guys know that? If you've been in my church for five minutes, now you know. Started at linebacker this, uh, this last week and uh, tackled one of his nemesis as he tried to go through the line. It was a great, great thing. And Londonderry High School, where he goes, is the arch nemesis of Pinkerton Academy in Derry, where I went. And Derry had won the MAC plaque. It is, a, it is a rivalry of monumental proportions, right, Rachel? Rachel goes to Londonderry. Last year, you guys won the MAC plaque, right? I think it was last year, the year before. First time in 18 years. That's how bad Londonderry is. Let's come on. They won MacLock this weekend. It's huge. His team killed their team. The JV team killed the JV team. The varsity team killed the varsity team. But if I ever see my son put Philippians 4.13 on his eye black, and he says, I can win this football game because Jesus is my strength, I'm going to slap my son. Because he's not talking about winning the Olympics. He's not talking about winning at life. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Listen, I can be an Olympic athlete because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you see this? This is not an Olympic athlete. Now, if God wanted me to be an Olympic athlete, I could be one if he wanted me to be one. He's going to have to do a lot of work. He's going to have to do a lot of work, both up here, in here, and all this. But that's not what that verse means. Some of y'all have been claiming this verse for your life, and you're claiming it incorrectly because remember, context, church, we say this all the time. What is it? Context is king. Context is king. And the context of this verse is I can, I can be abased. That means I can be brought low. And I can abound because Jesus is my strength. In all circumstances. That is what he means. I can do it when I'm making money. I can do it when I got a hand, when I got a hand out. I can, I can be full of joy in every circumstance because Jesus is my strength. Now, again, if you've been using that verse to try to win the Olympic ice skating competition, you know, I say God bless you, but you've been using it out of context. He is talking about, well, he's talking about this. True contentment. True contentment can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. 
It's the coolest thing. Leading up to this, he said, whatever things are true, whatever things are holy, whatever things are just, he gives a list of about seven or eight things. He says, think on these things. Think on these things. Now, the cool thing is when you begin to study that out and you look at those characteristics that the Apostle Paul tells you to think on, by the way, that's 4, chapter 8, right? Chapter 4, verse 8, rather. Think on these things. If you look at those things, what they are pointing you to is Jesus. It's Jesus. He said, whatsoever things are of a good report. How many of y'all know what the word gospel means? The word gospel means good news, good report. Whatever's a good report, man, it all points to Jesus. True contentment comes from Jesus. It does not come from relief of worldly suffering or trials. True contentment doesn't come when God comes in and heals you. True contentment doesn't come when God gives you that dream job. True contentment doesn't come, listen, when you find that the man of your dreams or the woman of your dreams, that's not true contentment. Can I tell you something about Fanny? She was 38 years old before she got married. I know some of y'all single people you, are, you, are, you have hit pause on your life and you're so angry and bitter with God because He has not given you a spouse. Fanny was 38 before she finally got married and then her child from that marriage died. True contentment doesn't come from strong determination. It doesn't come from relief. It's found in the person of Jesus as your constant friend and companion through it all. And I tell you, the very best times in my life, the very best times in my life, have not been the times when everything was going right. It's also not been the times when everything was going wrong. Don't get me wrong. It has been the times when I have been the most aware of the person of Jesus by my side. Nothing compares, nothing compares to having your vision and your heart filled with the person of Jesus. Nothing compares. Sin, addiction, you name it, begins, it pales in comparison to the joy that's found in Jesus. Trials and troubles, he walks in them with you. She didn't marry until she was 38, but you know what she did do? She served others. Some of y'all, you're waiting on your miracle and God says no or God says wait and so you just press pause and you are not content and you're bitter and angry. What you should be doing is you should be following the example of this amazing godly woman. She got, she got busy. She got busy. She wrote, as I said, five to 8,000 hymns. Some people estimate 10,000. She served as a nurse. This little blind woman <laughs> served as a nurse during the cholera epidemic. Matter of fact, she thought she contracted the illness and she gave herself a dose of the insane medication that they were handing out. You'd think she would have learned. Didn't tell any of her friends because she didn't want them to worry. She made it through and she continued to serve others. She went to jails to share the gospel of Jesus and to sing her song. She was a renowned harpist and as we already mentioned, a prolific poet. And she would go to these prisons, she would go to these jails to share the hope that's in Jesus. She would go to rescue missions where the men in these rescue missions, listen, they were rough and they were tumble and they were broken and they were bad. 
And people had the idea that they had to beat these men to death with the hammer of sin. Like, oh, you filthy, rotten sinner. And they just had this idea that they had to constantly berate these men. And she came in and her attitude was this. The men coming into this rescue mission already know how bad they are. They need to know somebody loves them and that there's a pardon waiting for them. And they need to know someone is out there that won't give up on them. We have too many Christians that are too quick to give up on others. Now, Fanny Crosby, man, she walked with Jesus. How could she walk with confidence in a rescue mission, blind, full of rabid men? You know how? Her bodyguard was Jesus. Her body, he was with her. I have Jesus with me this morning. I have two angels that I happen to, I just know I have two angels that are with me my whole life. It's an amazing thing when you begin to open your spiritual eyes. She served the Lord through her writing. At one point, a Scottish minister told her it was too bad God did not give her the gift of sight. She startled him by saying this, if I had been given a choice at birth, I would have asked to be blind. For when I get to heaven, the first face I will see will be the one who died for me. Dude, are you flipping kidding me? This is how we as believers should live our lives. You can't do it in your own strength. That kind of contentment. There's the kind that says, I will not, I won't, right? Be sad, I won't. And there's the kind that says, oh man, I just can't wait to see Jesus face to face. He's with me, but I can't wait to see him face to face. I mentioned earlier, after her marriage, her baby was soon found dead. In later years, uh, she, she would never speak about that loss except to say in her oral biography, I'm reading now, God gave us a tender babe, and soon the angels of heaven came down and took our infant up to God and to his throne. And that just gave her the comfort that she needed. In her later life, she goes through life. Now she's 95. The, the story is that she is, she's bent almost in half. 95 years old. And she says to her friend, feeble in body yet strong in mind, she says, I'm so busy I hardly know my name. She wrote happily to a friend. And finally, toward the end of her life, if I could have the worship team come forward. In more than 85 years, I have not for a moment. Now some of you need to hear this. Because bitterness is a root in your life that has, lied, has lain hidden, that has been corrupting every area of your life. Relationships, work, friends, family. You've held bitterness close to your heart over people that have abused you. You've held bitterness close to your heart about being mistreated by friends, by people you should have trusted. You've, you've nursed a grudge. Here's this woman blinded by medical malpractice of a person who passed himself off as a legitimate physician. This is what she said at, at just over 85. She said, for 80, in more than 85 years, I have not for a moment felt a spark of resentment against him. For I have always believed from my youth up that the good Lord in his infinite mercy, by this means, the means of her disability, the means of her blindness, consecrated me to the work that I am still permitted to do. 
Folks, sometimes I look at the difficulties that I've had in my life and I say, I'm happy in spite of them. I'm happy in spite of it. If God would have answered my prayer in 1992, January 31st, as I laid in bed next to my wife and I cried out to him to heal my daughter, if he would answer that prayer, I would have been eternally grateful. Not Fanny Crosby. She said, bring it on. Because this life that you've given me with this disability is what has enabled me to be consecrated for your glory and for your duty. And folks, everything in your life, whether it's someone that abused you or malpractice, it's all cross-training. It can all be done for the glory of God. It can be used for the glory of God. I once had a preacher tell me, stop preaching about your daughter. Stop preaching about what you've gone through. And my answer was this. I'm going to squeeze every last ounce that I can out of my story to give it purpose and to give glory to God. Folks, God has allowed you to go through things. You now have to determine by His grace what you're going to do about it. Will you allow the person of Jesus to flood your life and to fill your mind? Or will you relegate him to the corner where you only dust him off for Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights? My challenge to you is to take the story of Fanny Crosby and to, and, and to allow it to inspire you to believe that even though God doesn't give you supernatural healing, He can give you supernatural purpose and supernatural joy in spite of it all. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.